Let's all get our Bibles out together tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> Don't want to brag, but I've made it two weeks without my mic messing up when I get up here. Don't know if you've noticed that or not, I have, and I'm finally getting the hang of this thing. But 2 Peter chapter 3, last week we began our series in the doctrine of the church, and we introduced the series in speaking of a church with right doctrine. And we looked at the benefits of that. We looked at all that God does through a church that does things the right way. The doctrine that he's given us, the truth that we have in the word of God is non-negotiable. We can't pick and choose what we want. We need to live according to all of it or none of it. And I'm thankful to be part of a church that lives, that desires to please God, live according to his word. And tonight we are looking at the doctrine that we, of the word of God. We're going to look at the Bible together tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's all stand together. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 15. It says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for the privilege that it is to read from it tonight and hold it in our hands. God, I pray tonight that, Lord, with that awareness of, of your word that we have in our possession, God, I pray that we would desire to obey it, live according to it, and God, to stand on it, Lord, for the rest of our lives. And I pray that we'd have such an impact on this world and we'd, we'd take such a stand on your word that the generations to follow would be encouraged to do the same. And your word that never fails and your word that never changes. Well, bless us tonight for the next few moments. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Spurgeon, when he was speaking of the word of God, he said, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith and is not good for much. And every word that we find in the word of God, every word that we find in, your, in our Bible is there for a purpose. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, chapter 12, verse 7, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them for this generation forever. The Bible that you and I hold in our possession tonight is the preserved word of God. The Bible that God intended us to have. Every single book, every single word, every single sentence, every single jot or tittle as we find in scripture um, described to us is of God. Inspired by him and preserved of him. And as we look at our Bibles tonight, as we look at world history as we just look at the history we find in the Word of God, Satan has attacked the Bible and God's Word since he first tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You look back in Genesis chapter 3 and we find God telling them what they could do and what they could not do. What did Satan do right away? The Bible says he was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? At that moment... Two people in the world, he was already challenging 
what God said. He encouraged Eve to doubt God's words, and he did so with the simple phrase, Hath God said? In the hearts and minds of the world tonight, Satan is still challenging the word of God. He's no doubt done it in your life in one instance or another. He's doing it in churches all across the nation tonight. He's doing it in the lives of sinners tonight, those, those that don't know Christ. And he tells us that we have no way to prove the accuracy of the Bible. He tells us if we can prove it, there's no need to obey it. What's going to happen, hath God said? You know, the questioning of the Bible continues today. And Satan's attacks in our culture has brought many people, even those in Bible-believing churches, to be led astray and accept false views about God and the Bible. I want to tell you tonight what the Bible says. The Bible says what God has given us, he means. And just as Spurgeon said, just as we mentioned tonight, either believe all of it or believe none of it. Either hold to what he's given to us or don't hold to any of it. It's not up to us to pick and to choose or to try to change the meaning of certain things or to think that man has evolved to a certain point to where some of these things do not apply anymore. What God has given us, we need to stand on for the rest of our lives throughout eternity. A biblical scholar named F.F. Bruce said, the evidence for our New Testament writings is ever so much greater than the evidence for many writings of the classical authors, the authenticity of which no one dreams of questioning. You can look at Plato, Aristotle, Asosthenes, you can look at all those men and the writings they had. There's way more collections and copies of the ancient writings of, of the Word of God than we find of those men. Those men's writings aren't questioned, are they? He says if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. So as you look at this tonight, we look at the word of God that we have, we look at the history of the word of God, and the first thing I want to tell you tonight is the Bible is reliable. The Bible's reliable. We look here in our text, verse 16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Let's break the verse down. The word of God that you have, the reliable word of God that you have is inspired given by inspiration of God. God himself is the author of Scripture. The Greek word for inspiration means God breathed. This definition is, is parallel, the English phrase there, the inspiration of God. Our English word inspire has multiple definitions. But in this case, the word inspire translated literally means to breathe into. Just as God breathed life into Adam and Eve, and they became a living soul, God breathed life into his words, into this book. The Bible's a living book. And the Bible produces heart-penetrating conviction. You know, sometimes the conviction feels like a sword. So, and it sharply cuts through our hearts, reveals our thoughts. Sometimes the word of God feels like a hammer that shattereth the rock in pieces. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a living book that makes a difference. The Bible is an incorruptible seed that will never die. A physical seed of a plant or some fruit may one day wither away, but the word of God will never wither away. It's an incorruptible seed. It produces fruit. It produces New life, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 
You think of all the thoughts, all the advice you've ever been given in your life, some of it's faded away, hasn't it? Some of it was no good. Some of it didn't hold up. But we look in the Word of God and the seeds that have been planted in your life endure. So how did God breathe his word into existence? We look at 2 Peter, it says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. It wasn't man's will, it wasn't man's word. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So opposers to the preservation and the inspiration of the Bible, people that will try to tell you it's just man's writings, look, it has his name on it. It's written by man. None of this was written by Jesus. None of it was written by God. And they'll tell you the Bible's not of God because it came through the pen of human writers. This is a misleading and illogical claim. Think about it this way. The Bible was recorded by 40 different writers from a variety of backgrounds and a variety of occupations. Written over a period of 1,500 years. Three languages. Three continents. Covers all kinds of subjects. So 40 men over 1,500 years, all these different subjects being covered. And with all those different aspects, the word of God that you hold in your hand tonight, it has a single theme and complete unity. This could only be achieved if it was inspired by a sole author. There's only one author who spans every age, only one author who spans every language, every location, every subject, and that is God himself. There's only one writer, God the Holy Spirit. And he inspired men to write what he wanted, and he used each person's words and writing styles while doing that, and what a miracle that is in and of itself. We look at the Gospels, the four Gospels that do not contradict each other, but written by four different men with four different types of writing, saying the same thing with no contradictions. What a miracle that is. You know, David was used of God to write some of the largest portions of Scripture, and he claimed in 2 Samuel that God gave him the words. He said, the Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Does that sound like inspiration? You know, the Bible's reliable because it has been given by a divine author who spoke through human writers, and we can trust it to provide the truth and direction we need tonight. It's inspired. It has inerrant facts. Looking back at our text, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we, we saw the beginning of the verse that the Bible is given by inspiration of God, but then it states that that Bible that is given by inspiration of God, the Bible you hold in your hand, is profitable in different areas of life. And the Bible is unique in the fact that it is without error. Nothing that the Bible says is separate from the truth. You know, the purpose of the Bible was not to teach us history. The purpose of the Bible wasn't to teach us science. wasn't to teach us biology. But where it does state facts about history, science, or other subjects, it's without error, isn't it? From a historic standpoint, it's amazing to see how Scripture recounts history, from modern, and modern-day historians are only recently catching up with it. We can look at the Hittites and the Babylonians, the Babylonian king Belshazzar. Historians for years said the Bible was inaccurate because those places, that place and that king never existed. There are many skeptics saying there's no evidence of either of these people, either of these groups, so these stories don't hold up. It's just made-up facts. It's a fictional story. But over time... Archaeological discoveries revealed material proof for that person and those stories. Thousands of years after the events were recorded, 
those confirmations we receive should assure us that we can trust the Bible's historical accuracy even before archaeology catches up with it. From a scientific standpoint, there's many different things they could go through. One, one that I want to talk about is long before Isaac Newton discovered gravity, the Word of God says, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Our knowledge of the earth matters to God. The one who created it knows the facts about it, doesn't he? It's accurate. Let me look at the infallibility of Scripture. And we can look at that and a proof of it in prophecy and the fulfilling of it. An author by the name of Henry Morris, he said, One of the strong objective evidences of biblical inspiration is the phenomenon of fulfilled prophecy. Look at Isaiah the prophet. He prophesied the miraculous nature of Jesus' birth, that he be born of a virgin. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. What happened many, many years later? A virgin named Mary conceived. Micah foretold the exact town that the Messiah was going to be born in 750 years before. What happened? Mary and Joseph had to go to a city called Bethlehem. They didn't live there. They had to journey there. And what happened? The Messiah was born in Bethlehem 750 years later. You know, God told us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's clear that the Bible is supernatural and God-breathed. It's high above any other, it's high above any other book and any other opinion the world can offer. It's reliable. Secondly, it's preserved. You know, our text there in verse 15, Paul reminded Timothy that he's known the Scripture since his childhood. He says, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. They hadn't changed to that point. That could only be true if God had kept them preserved for all generations, just as he promised he would. I read that verse earlier in Psalm 119, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's preservation of the word of God. You know, when God gave his word to man, he also preserved them so that man would have the truth of God forever. We can look at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, he says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So what God meant for man to have, he revealed, he inspired, and then he had it preserved in written form forever. And God made it very clear that the words that were written, the words that were inspired, are never going away. In the 12th Psalm, in verse 6, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Let's do an exercise together. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40 and 1 Peter chapter 1. Isaiah 40 and 1 Peter chapter 1. The theme of God preserving his word is continuous throughout scripture. We're going to find the original words written in Isaiah chapter 40 and we're going to find the words written down that Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8, it says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So Isaiah recorded this in 800 B.C., 
It was quoted by Peter 800 years later. No technology, no, no way to save it online, no hard drives, just written on paper. And 800 years later, Peter said the exact same message we find in Isaiah. It may sound a little different from the translation, but everything that's there is there. He said in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Jesus reaffirmed the promise of preservation, specifically including the smallest letter jot, the part of the letter tittle, and the Hebrew alphabet. And God's promise is that not even the smallest part of his word can be erased. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Till heaven and earth shall pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. The word's been preserved. But preserving the word obviously includes preserving physical copies of the word. And this is exactly what we see has happened in, in world history. You know, the overwhelming number of physical manuscripts that exist today is astounding. Considering all of those are handwritten. There's no other ancient book or ancient writings that have more evidence today than the Bible. Now, there's a few brief references in other ancient documents. The New Testament is the only source of information concerning the most influential life that ever lived. You know, scholars agree that the four Gospels, they were written within 40 to 70 years of Jesus' death on the cross. And in addition, existing copies of the New Testament are far older and greater in number than those of any other ancient body of literature. And you could go throughout the world, you could go in museums in, in, in our country, you could go in museums in other parts of the world that we live in, and you can find manuscript after manuscript, copies of the Word of God. I have a full page of references here I could, I could go through. We're not going to do that for time's sake. But I hope tonight you are greatly aware of the blessing it is to have many copies of the Word of God throughout the centuries that have been preserved so we can hold this Bible in our hands. Now, based on the promises of God, which we also know to be supported by evidence of history, we can believe without a doubt the Bible that we hold in our hand is the preserved Word of God. It's not just preserved by, through the people that God used to write it, not just preserved through the copies, but it's also preserved through the much opposition that has come to it. There's been many tyrants, dictators, rulers, and rebels that have tried to destroy the Bible through the entirety of its existence, but they haven't succeeded. Josh McDowell said, The Bible has withstood vicious attacks of its enemies as no other book. Many have tried to burn it, ban it, and outlaw it from the days of Roman emperors to the present-day communist-dominated countries. Got a couple of illustrations of that. In 303 AD, there was a Roman emperor, Diocletian. He issued an edict to stop Christians from worshiping, and then he said, we're going to destroy all the scriptures. 25 years later, his successor, Constantine, ordered 50 copies of the Bible made and distributed throughout the empire. The evil plan of one to destroy it was erased by the next one who was used of God to create even more copies than they had the first time. William Tyndale. He translated the Bible into English even as he had to run from hostile authorities, people that didn't want the English-speaking people to have the Word of God. And after he finally completed his first translation, the government bought every single copy that he had and burned them. 
instead of stopping he, and viewing this as a setback, he was grateful because the sales provided gave him enough money to make an even more improved translation. And his translation was used less than 100 years later as the King James was, was, was put together. You know, God's promise to preserve his word was not made in vain. And no matter how many wicked forces have tried to erase and destroy the word of God, God has taken their efforts and used them to further the gospel, further scripture. And the Bible endures. As a church, we believe the King James Bible is the preserved version for English-speaking people. As your pastor, that's what I'm going to preach from. That's what I'll encourage you to have in the pew. It's what we stand on. It's what we're going to give out. It's what we're going to have our children learn. There's many reasons for that, and I'm not going to get into all those tonight, but just very quickly, there's five different reasons. First of all, there's theological reasons. There's many new versions that are dangerous because of the theological bias of translators. There's other versions that have changed things to where it doesn't clearly state the the virgin birth of Christ. It'll say young woman instead of virgin. Or things that they may have changed a word in the New Testament and not changed it uh, in the Old Testament. We looked at a reference just a few minutes ago of that. And and by those changes they made, it wasn't consistent with the other. and, And it causes contradictions. And we know the word of God that we hold has been preserved and it does not contradict itself. There's theological reasons. There's textual reasons. You know, most of, of the more than 100 new, newer versions of the Bible are not translated from the same Hebrew and Greek text that the King James translators used. Many of them, really most of them, are, are translations of a new Greek text that was generated by a committee. Significantly different than the traditional text. It's dangerous. It's safer for us to stay with the traditional text than to adopt a revised text. There's philosophical reasons. You know, Christians ought to be interested in having the very words of God since Jesus, is, since Jesus told us that's what we need. And the King James translators, when they were translating the word of God, they were seeking what, what they called a formal equivalence, meaning a vocabulary that best fits the Hebrew or the Greek words used that matched the emphasis that certain words needed. Other versions, instead of a formal equivalence, seek a dynamic equivalence, and, and by that, it is either watered down or doesn't, mean, doesn't get the point across as God intended it to be through the original text. There's also practical reasons. Believe it or not, what many say are the most common reasons they don't want the King James. The reason it's most criticized is one of the best reasons to keep it. One of the first things many people are going to say are all the these and the thous. Nobody speaks like that. Well, if you study history at at, at this point in the 1600s, the English people didn't speak this way at that point either. That was formal English. It was called high English. But it's a very precise form of language. And as, as we look at the English word you and all the different meanings it can have, all the different pluralities it can have. We look at the high English and the King James and it better distinguishes who people, who the people that are that are being spoken to. Many other reasons on that format. The King James Bible is what, is what I believe is the preserved word of God for the English speaking people. It's reliable. It's preserved. As you look at our Bible, God has given it to us. He inspired writers to write it 
and it was preserved for us to use to this day. The Bible that you hold is not only reliable, not only preserved, but this Bible changes lives. You look back to our text in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we see that it speaks to every area of our life with power and truth, unlike anything else. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible that you hold in your hand tonight is, is profitable, first of all, for doctrine. It shows us what's right. Reproof, it shows us where we are wrong. And correction, it shows us how to get right. And instruction in righteousness shows us how to stay right. So it shows us what's right, shows us where we're wrong, shows us how to get right, and then shows us how to stay right. That sounds like a pretty good plan to me. And this Bible is capable to help us in every area of life, and the Bible that we hold is powerful. It speaks to our hearts with absolute truth, and, and it will always change us for the better as we look to it as our guide. A.W. Tozer said, an honest man with an open Bible and a pad and pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. I believe that. Because the Bible's number one purpose is to bring those that read it to Christ. Peter wrote, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. There's a seed that is planted that can take them to Christ. The Bible shows us our need for a Savior. It reveals God's plan of salvation to us. Then after we are saved, after we're born again, the Bible reveals the greatness of our God. I want to tell you tonight that it is very important for the Christian to be in the Bible daily. Don't just save your Bible reading for church time. Don't just take my word for it, what I give you for it. Look at it on your own. Get it in each and every day. Get, it, get in a Bible reading plan. Get in a devotional book. Whatever it takes. Start with a verse a day, a chapter a day. Whatever it takes to get into it. But read it. It'll help you. you know, as we faithfully study the Word of God and as we apply its truth to our lives, it will change us, guide us, strengthen us, and transform us to the image of Christ. But that will not happen if we're not in it. There's no area of your life that the Word of God is not capable to help. There's no area off limits in your life that, that the Bible cannot help bring change to, that the Bible cannot help improve, that the Bible cannot give guidance. It's powerful. It's also instructional. You know, the Bible does not make any apologies for the truth that it presents. There's many people that hold the Word of God at at arm's length, and they determine for themselves what is profitable and what is not. You know, that, that passage there, it's going to help me in my relationships, but this one, you know, that's a little intense. We probably don't have to live that way. And when people do that, they place themselves as the authority of Scripture as they determine what parts of the Bible they apply to their lives. But God's told us that we need to place ourselves under the authority of Scripture. We're not to decide what we listen to. We're not to decide what parts we apply to our lives. We are to put ourselves under the authority of our God and the word that he's given us. You know, doctrine that we find in the word of God teaches us what to believe. You know, honestly, preaching these doctrinal messages are not as fun as, as preaching through another passage. And as a, as a new pastor, there's a lot of things I really want to preach right now, but I know God has us to go through this doctrine. It's the measuring stick by how we discern truth from error. 
It's, it's the beliefs that we need to stand on and, and know what we believe, and not just what we believe, but why we believe what we believe. It's the reason that we can firmly state our beliefs and we can firmly preach the Word of God and teach the Word of God and, and live according to the Word of God regardless of what changes culture brings and no matter what changes the, the church uh, that, that we find, the, the way we find many churches today living. No matter how many changes happen, we can continue to stand on the Word of God as we understand it is right, it is without error, it is true. What do we believe about church attendance? It's in the Bible. What do we believe about marriage between one man and one woman? It's in the Bible. What do we believe about how we should conduct our relationships? What about our finances? What about prayer? What does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about honesty? It's in the Bible. The Bible gives us doctrines to believe and follow for every area of life. And when we study and obey Bible doctrines, we gain stability in our life. This is profitable for doctrine. And as we continue to go into it, that reproof shows us where we've strayed from the truth. The Bible reproves us when its word convicts us that we've disobeyed God's instruction. Then the correction comes. You know, I'm glad that the Bible isn't just full of things telling us how bad we are. And how we made a mistake here and a mistake there. What does the Bible also give us? What we should do. I'm glad it doesn't stop with the reproofing. When we respond to the reproof of Scripture with a tender heart, God then uses his word to show us how to change. For every truth that God reveals are wrongs, there's a truth that teaches us what is right and how to do it. Then there's instruction in righteousness. You want to know the path forward from this moment in your life? Look to the Bible. Path forward on how to have a right relationship with God and how to practically apply the doctrinal truths of God's word to our life. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is instructional. And the word of God is our guide to complete Christian living. It provides everything we need to know God and live a life honoring to him. As we see in verse 17 of the text, what does it say? That the man of God may be what? Perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That word perfect means to be mature. Spiritual maturity is the process of becoming more like Christ. And God's word is profitable in the fact that it can bring us to be more like Christ. As we get into God's word, we're going to grow in him. We're going to become ready to do the work that he's called us to do. You know, D.L. Moody said, the scriptures were not given to increase our knowledge. And sadly, so many Christians think that's what it is. I know the Bible. We've been, we've been, we've been talking about Pharisees a little bit that, were, that John had to deal with. And we're going to deal much more with Pharisees as Jesus, as Jesus gets involved and as the opposition comes. But it's a good thing to know the Bible. It's a good thing to know scripture. It's a good thing to be able to quote verses. But God did not just give us the Bible. God did not just give the Old Testament people the law so they could know what was right and, and know how to be better than everybody else. He's given us the word of God, not just to increase our knowledge, but to change our life. Is it doing that to you? Are you in it enough for it to have an impact in your life each and every day you live? In 1908, a small group of people established an organization called Gideon International. They had a goal of making a difference for the Lord. 
really much bigger than the size they were at the time, and they thought the name Gideon was very fitting. A few years later, the group began to distribute free copies of the Bible. I think all of us have held a Gideon Bible in our hand at one point or another. They distributed free copies of the Bible, and to date, they distributed more than 2 billion copies of New Testaments and Bibles around the world. Every copy of the Gideon's New Testament contains this following statement. I want to read it to you. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, too, heaven is opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly frequently and prayerfully. It's a mine of wealth and a paradise of glory and a river of pleasure. The Bible. The very word of God. When you need answers, go to it. When we look at our world, we turn on the news, we, we, we read an article and we see this chaos all over the place. And you have a heavy heart For a friend who is struggling in your own life, focus your heart on God's truth. Many people have given up on the Bible in their personal life. We've tried it, and I've tried it again, I've tried it again. Devotional life really hasn't made a difference. And Gypsy Smith told of a man who had that same opinion. And he told Gypsy Smith, he said, I... I've received no inspiration from the Bible, no help, although I've gone through it several times. And Gypsy Smith said, that's the problem. Let it go through you once. Don't just go through it. Let it go through you. Then you will tell a different story. Is it going through you tonight? Every head bowed, every eye closed.